Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Hello, everybody. We are doing an episode again, just like every week. I'm here with Roger. Roger, how is losing weight going? I figured you was going to ask me that because of last <laughs> I week. I told you I was going to I was going to hold you to it. Yeah, and I'm sure all the listeners are wanting to hear what's happening. I can tell you this much so far that it is difficult in a lot of different ways. The first reason is because as I compare it to overcoming drugs and alcohol, it's it's a lot easier to justify eating more versus doing drugs. It was easy to see that dope was killing me. And so maybe the side effects for me, where I'm at right now in my health, is I could justify it. So to say where it's going, where is it? it, it, I'm doing okay. I haven't completely fell off the wagon yet. (laughs) Could I do better? Yes. But, you know, it's not as black and white as drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But what I have learned, it's been much more difficult for me for this reason and probably this reason alone is that when I was first in recovery with drugs and alcohol, I was going to sometimes two meetings a day, seven days a week. So I was in meetings all the time. Now I'm in my CR meeting once a week versus all those other times. I'm still leaning out for my sponsor and my support team for some help. And I will say it's kind of hard as a man to reach out yeah. and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with the, the little Debbies again. You know, <laughs> it's hard for me yeah, to do. There's a lot of yeah. uh, pride and ego deflation to yeah. do some of this. But this is what I found that's the most difficult is that without having some connection in my life, you know, just that face-to-face connection, there, it's difficult. I need that accountability that comes with that. Right, because like early on in recovery for me, I was always told call an alcoholic every day, you know, and having that daily, how are you doing? How's this going? I could see how with this type of situation, you're only going to a meeting once a week and you're not calling, you're not calling me up going, Hey, I really, you know, wanted a little Debbie a minute ago. Um, just, it's just a different See, type of See, it's hard addiction. to even say that. And I'm, not, I'm by no means making fun of anybody who no, struggles no, with food no. addiction. Because I, I mean, I'm here with you right now. And I don't know if I can call it a food addiction because it's it's different in the sense of a drug addiction that I was in. Right. Because um, it's not like the physical cravings aren't as bad as it was with a drug addiction. But it's controlling my life just as well as any other addiction right. I've had. Back to, I said this last show, but back to Lacey's show. This is all where all this started for me. But um, she or I, one, made a comment about uh, a quote that said that, that um, something to the effect that, do we eat to live or live to eat? Mm. And I, I found myself just living to eat. And so today I'm trying to learn how to to just live to eat or eat to live. I said it wrong. Yeah. But, you know, and, and that, that's hard. It really is hard, very hard. Yeah. And what you were talking about with the connection, that's what we're going to be talking about today on the show. Um, have you ever seen these TED Talks? I've seen a lot of TED Talks. I love TED Talks. So I I even have like the TED app on my phone or whatever. And I'll 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 watch a lot of these things sometimes. And and most of them are pretty good. 
And a lot of them I agree with. Some of them I disagree with. But I came across one a little while back, and then it kind of popped up in my feed again. It's a guy talking about how the title of it is Everything You Think You Know About Addiction Is Wrong. So it's one of those... Uh, you had baits. to click on it. Oh, being, being in recovery, you had to. Yeah, and I was like, oh, really? We'll see about that. So I clicked on it. I watched it. And, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit of it, but his basic premise is that addiction stems from the lack of human connection in your life. And on the surface of it, I, I, I could see that. But I don't think it's so cut and dry. What kind of connection was was he talking about? Like just being in physical contact with someone, or I think he was more talking about like a deeper emotional, you know, connection with a, with a larger community. Okay, I've never seen that. It, yeah, it, um, not that particular TED talk. Well, he talks about this rat experiment or something, and but I can't really describe it really well. I did so, now. I, I have read about that that topic you're talking about. Oh, the rat experiment. Yes, um, actually, this guy that I read an article on, um, he was talking about that that very TED talk that you're talking about, and he talked about how I think it was in the 70s. I don't remember the the scientist's name. He began trying to to search out the the idea of, of addiction, where it comes from, mm-hmm. probably the same thing that everybody is still looking for today because I've never really heard this. This is where addiction comes from. Yeah, this is it. Definitive yeah. proof. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's not it. You know, So this guy was set out to, to, to determine where it came from, and, and he used some experiments. And he started it by calling it the rat park. Um, but he, he began the idea with this. He took one rat and he put it inside of a cage and he, inside this cage with nothing but just, you know, just the wire cage, he put a water bottle on one side and then he put a heroin laced water bottle on the other side and let the, let the rat go at it. And so eventually the rat kind of went to the heroin laced, um, water and became addicted. And that's all he wanted was the heroin laced stuff. But, you know, if you look at that, that's not really fair, um, or to me that's not a fair uh, set up or um, theory or whatever you want to say, um, because if, if, if I'm just in a dark room, if you will, all by myself with nothing to do but do drugs, I'm probably going to just do drugs. I mean, yeah. You have no reason to live. Right. There's no purpose in your life. I mean, you kind of just give up. And then so the scientists saw that as he did this experiment. That was the word I was looking for a second ago. As he was doing this experiment, it just wasn't working out. He didn't think it was a fair assessment, so he built this big rat park. And he said, okay, I'm going to give this rat a lot of different things to do, places where he can eat, where they can have sex, and where they can go and have little little you know cottages and all this to have raise their little families in and balls to play with and everything you could think of inside a little ratville here. <laughs> and inside- Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> where... Who's paying? There's somebody that's like funding this research, huh? I, I guess. I don't know. Bill. Or the guy may have done some of the heroin-laced water. I don't know, but he came up with this. Uh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and so he made Ratville, or Rat Park, as, that, as it said on the, the, the thing I was reading, yeah. the article. And as he did Ratville, and he put in not one rat to be all by itself, he put 20 other rats in there. 
and along with this rat, and they all began to play with one another. And inside of it, they put the heroin water on one side and regular water on the other. And out of all of these rats, the 20-something rats that were there, none of them cared about the water. And hmm. so that's how he came to that conclusion that, you know, because they were able to connect and have sex and raise little rat families, everything was cool <laughs> in their world. They didn't need the heroin. So they had the choice, though. Yeah. They could have the heroin, but they chose connection over the addiction he even goes on to say um later in the in the article that i read that those original rats that were thrown in by themselves is the first experiment they were put inside the rat park and they automatically went back to connecting with other rats and didn't and just walked away from their addiction hmm that's pretty powerful uh, there's no way i could have ever done that right yeah. No way that could ever work. Because I tried that multiple times in rehab where I would kind of go in and walk out and just be different. And it did, I never walked out different. You know, I went back to doing drugs. Right. I think with the TED Talk part where he explains that addic- the cause of addiction is lack of connection, I think one thing that he leaves out, though, is that there is a physical part of addiction. Um, We're going to kind of save some of this for a later topic that we're going to get into, so we won't go way off into it. But the idea is that whenever I would use drugs or alcohol, you know, my brain and my body reacts differently to those substances than a normal person. You know, um, I know plenty of people that have told me, you know, I drink a beer and I start to feel it and then I just go, Ooh, no, I don't like that. That was never the case for me. Whenever I would do, uh, you know, alcohol or, or, or do drugs, I always liked it. And so I, I do truly believe that there is a, a physical response that is different than, than the rest of uh, the normal population. In the psychology article I read, it talked a little bit about some of that. And in the debate there was, or his argument, rebuttal, was that if it was strictly um, you drinking something and getting a physical effect, then all of us would be alcoholics. Anybody on prescription drugs would be an opiate addict, you know, slamming dope. Yeah. I mean, and... This is kind of the the chicken or the egg thing here. It's hard to pinpoint down exactly what the problem addiction or where the root of addiction comes from. You know, it, it, I think it's an all encompass uh, all encompassing problem. It is spiritual. There's a, a spiritual side of it. It's physical. It, it's mental and it's emotional. I, I believe that addiction affects every aspect of a person, and there's not one part that you can point to and say this is it's just a problem with this that's all it is well it's easy to take kind of what we're talking about here and relate it to heroin because that's what the test subjects was about the rats had heroin okay but let me ask you this if let's look at it from this point of view if it is just a matter of connecting it or being connected then why is it so many people are struggling or are addicted to cigarettes yeah you know that is the same type of addiction that you know 
puts me into bondage because I, I smoked myself for many years is the drugs and alcohol. And it's the same cravings, the physical cravings you're talking about. So I, I don't believe that people become, you know, addicted to cigarettes because they weren't held enough when they were a baby. Right. No, the, it, it, it can start off as just a choice, but then eventually, you know, the, the physical element with some, some substances, you know, can take over and, make it just extremely difficult to let go, especially with um, the opiate crisis that we're facing in, in the country today. We see a lot of that. We see a lot of the reason why people, you know, have trouble quitting is that they don't, they can't make it through the physical withdrawals that they go through. And so, you know, they ended up, end up relapsing or just never quitting, being too scared to quit because they don't want to go through the, the physical pain of it. Well, if you look at, I'm going to run a rabbit trail here with us for a minute. Um, I I figure we're going to give this one free of charge. Yeah. (laughs) Is that there there comes a point, and I think this is what this guy is missing from your TED Talk you're talking about, and I think this is probably what you're saying, but when does a habit become an addiction? Mm, Because there is that physical component in there. When I started smoking cigarettes, I didn't – I didn't ever think about getting addicted. It wasn't even a, a matter of getting addicted. In fact, the first couple of times I smoked a cigarette, I didn't even like it, but I, I thought it was kind of cool to do. The same thing with food. I mean, I didn't start eating because of, you know, I was eating because I needed to eat. It wasn't because of not having someone around me or, or feeling less than any of those other things about not being connected. It was simply because I needed it. But for some reason, I, I started eating one thing that tasted good to me or I smoked something because it, it made me relax. Whatever reason I was doing that, I kept doing it more because I liked it. And somewhere in that from A to B, I crossed a line. I don't know where that line is, but I crossed that line. And where you just ha- you went from I like this to I have to have this. Yeah, and that and that's different for everybody. You know, you you see some people that you know they kind of go go at it pretty hard in college, and then they get out and get married, and then they just drop all those things. You know, they were a heavy drinker, maybe even drinking alcoholically or whatever in college, and then well, this is me. I'm talking about me. I would see my friends in college drinking as heavy as me, and then when they were done, they just kind of settled down. They dropped all those things. And then there I was, you know, I had crossed the line of of addiction and I had to have those those substances to, to, to just keep going. Or at least I thought I had to have them. I, I think that, that that's really kind of the deal that I think this is the reason science haven't really proved what they're looking for here, because. I think, and what we're talking about is strictly our own opinions. Yeah, this is all our own. I do not have a PhD in this, but I do have experience, which qualifies me a lot more than a lot of PhDs, in my opinion. Right. So I think there's this line that all of us are different, as we just said, that we get to, and when we cross it, our habit becomes an addiction. So... It's kind of the same way for someone who is in addiction, whatever your addiction may be. The bottoms are different. I can't tell you what your bottom is. No, you know your your bottom right. may be getting caught by your parents doing something. My bottom may have been prison or death. Yeah, you, know, you know, just whatever it takes. Yeah. It, you're going to find different bottoms. So that's kind of what I see here is that if if you're going to look at the idea of addiction, it's going to go from. 
you know, from a habit to an addiction. You're going to get there, but yours is going to be different than mine. But the the idea to me is that you, along as me, I, I can't tell you this, but you have to determine when you've crossed that line. Right, yeah. And, I mean, I think science has been looking for this magic bullet remedy cure for addiction for 70 80 years now they're trying you know trying to come up with a pill here take this pill and it will fix your addiction i don't think that science will ever be advanced enough to fix the problem of addiction i don't think there'll ever be a magic pill that you can take that will fix this problem because of what i was saying earlier that it just encompasses every aspect of a human being that is so deeply rooted and that it's not just one particular, it's not just a physiological thing where you can take a pill and it fixes it. Um, you know, it, it's much deeper than that. So I don't think that the lack of connection causes addiction, but I think addiction can definitely cause a lack of connection. You know, whenever I was active in my addiction, the more, the worse the addiction got, the the more isolated, you know, I, I caused myself to be, and the 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 less connected I was to people, and uh, I used to just always think, man, if all these people would just leave me alone, I would be better, and then everybody left me alone, and then I was like, wait, this is not better, this is terrible. You <laughs> just didn't it, want to share your drugs, right? <laughs> well, there is that too, but it was like this cycle that fueled. It was like this feedback loop that fueled itself. Like the more withdrawn from everybody I was, the more I would have to use drugs and alcohol to 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 feel to not feel that pain of the lack of connection. So I, I do believe that you know, addiction causes a lack of connection. Well, check this out. I think that AA stumbled on something decades before this guy. You know, rather than saying addiction versus connection, I think it would be better said um, addiction and connection because I think, personally, this is the reason AA works and, and and the reason that we've seen NA, we've seen Celebrate Recovery, we've seen all these different things spin off of these 12 steps, and it was, it was simply because of this. They created a group of people, men and women, that could come in together that could connect with one another based on their experiences, um, their strength, their hope, uh, their you know, the shortcomings, all of those things, there was empathy there. There wasn't nobody just talking to them. They connected on many different levels. And because they connected so um, successfully, they were able to share with one another. And they used the principles we talk about all the time to, to find their hope and their higher power and ultimately change their life. Yeah, and I think that is the greatest gift of 12-step programs is that you know, they're all we programs. They're not, you know, I'm going to take this book home and just study it by myself in my room and I'll get better. You know, it doesn't work like that. You you do it together. And not only do you connect with each other, but you share with each other each other's burdens and and the honesty that you have. What's amazing to me is that I can go, I could go to Frankfurt, Germany right now I hop on a plane, go to Frankfurt, Germany. I could find a 12-step meeting, probably pretty quick, and I could walk in there and not even know 
how to speak German and not even understand the language, but I, I know those people because we have a shared connection through the struggles that we have. I did that very thing in Costa Rica. Oh, you did? We did. It was cool. Now, it didn't look just like an American Celebrate Recovery, right. a CR we went to. But, you know, the culture was different and the things worked. But it, like you said, the connection was just there. Yeah. Hey, even through a translator, because they were speaking Spanish. We had to ask wow. someone to interpret everything. And it, it was just like being at home, man. Yeah. Because I was there with people who understood me. Yeah. And that bond, when you have that com- camaraderie with each other, you know, you connect with each other. And then as the, as you work through the steps together, you connect, you know, to God, and that's what the steps—that's what the steps do—is put you in a right, right relationship with each other and with God. And it's just—I can't imagine recovery by myself. Well, I can because I tried it. Well, and that yeah. kind of goes back to the, the point that we started the show with. That's the reason I've kind of struggled um, in a lot of ways this time versus the drugs and alcohol because I haven't had the community that I had. When I was doing the drugs and alcohol, or when I stopped doing the drugs and alcohol, because I'm not in as, in, in as many meetings as I was. And so it goes back to your point you just made that even though I know recovery, I can repeat all the steps, and I've worked these steps many times, there's still the the sense of having those people with me in the good times and the bad times, to be able to share my good things and my bad things with, to connect with, you know, on, on many different levels. And without having that very systematically in my life, it's difficult. Yeah, and then just the analogy that I love about, you know, working a program with other people and and being able to hold each other accountable and encourage each other is that whole sinking ship analogy. Have you heard this? Yes, I have. Where the reason why you feel such unity with each other is because you were all on a sinking ship that was going down and you were rescued off of that ship. And, you know, you have this shared experience with each other that makes for deeper connections than you would with just, say, somebody who's never been through. I, I've experienced that in recovery, um, being being able to have a deeper connection with somebody because I know they've been through what I've been through and they think like I think. It, it really helps me you know, to understand that when they're encouraging me and when they're trying to support me in my recovery, they're not doing it just, you know, just because to pat themselves on the back. They're doing it because they really want to help me because they know where I've been. There's that story I've heard of that there's a guy stuck down in a hole in in the ground and people are walking by and looking down the hole at this guy and they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It must be horrible down there. I'll go find help. And you know, they'll go (laughs) on by and you know, the guy's still sitting there looking up, you know, I need help. And he's crying. He's all upset. And he's been there a while. He's losing weight and he gets worse and worse. And people just keep going by and go, Oh, it must be cold down there. You've got nothing down there. It must be horrible down there. I'll find someone to come help you. And then, and you know, the people just keep coming by and, and, you know, going, you know, you're just so sorry. And then finally there's one person that crawls down the hole with him. And the guy goes, why did you crawl down here? Now we're both stuck. And he's like, no, I've been here before. I know the way out. Oh. And that's how I feel like in recovery. You know, Um, that's, those are the people who really empathize. They don't just have sympathy for me. They empathize. And on that connection, um, that's a, that's a really big connection with someone who's been there before. Um, and for someone so prideful and arrogant as I am, 
it's one thing for somebody just to tell me. You could be even be right, but unless you've walked a mile in my shoes, it's hard for me to take your advice. Oh yeah, I mean, I I was you know at a bunch of different rehabs and stuff where the the teacher or whatever teaching us the classes. It, the same question always comes up in those classes. Are you, you know, they'll raise their hand. They'll be like, are you an addict? You know, were you an addict? And if they say no, it's almost like you can just look around the room and everybody's tuned them out because they don't want to listen to them because they don't want somebody to tell them how to, how to get sober or stay sober who hasn't gone through it themselves. Not saying they can't. I, I mean, there's plenty of people who are, who are wonderful at that jo- at those jobs who are not, you know, been in that that exact situations, and in some ways, you know, that can be an, an added benefit too. But when you're the person that's stuck in the hole, you don't want somebody, you know, looking down on you, saying you should do this and this and this when they've never had to do it. Well, it goes back to your original statement with this guy from this TED talk. I don't know him for nothing, so you may prove me wrong. But my guess is that he's just an educated guy who's much more educated than me, but to tell me that addiction doesn't have a physical component to it, that it's just connection, it'd be hard for me to believe that because I know there was a physical component to it, right. you know? So you, you couldn't, you may argue, but you're not going to win this argument because I know what I felt. And so if we look at this and we change the idea of addiction versus connection and we make it addiction and connection because we believe that, you know, addiction we need connection to overcome it. Not, right. you know, yes. no, you know, not just that's the only problem. I think that we've said that, you know, 12 step meetings provide connection on many different levels. What are some, you know, what are some of the things you tell sponsors about? You got to have a home group, you know, uh, you yeah. don't just float around from group to group. Um, trying, you know, and and you could say what I'm about to say. You could say the same exact thing about church membership or church attendance. You see people who that they just go from one meeting to one meeting or one church to one church, and they never get plugged into one. And they may say they want to be accountable and they want connection um, with the group, but. To me, it seems like the motivation from skipping and hopping around everywhere is they don't want that because they know that might mean they really actually have to change some of the things they're doing. And so I, I feel like if you're not going, if you don't have a home group for your recovery or you don't have a home church, um, I, I just don't feel like people can get to know you on a deep enough level to really, you know, be a, a recovery network in your life and, and you know, because if they don't know you, they're not going to feel like they have permission to tell you where they think that you're going wrong or or, or see things that they think are warning or, or red flags in your life. And so I feel like that is just a vital part of the of, the, of being connected um, when you're when you're in recovery or, or those who are not in recovery, just in your Christian walk, you know, being connected to a specific group that can get to know you on a level where they can uh, speak that accountability into your life. Yeah. So for those who are not clear what a home group is, what what we're saying here is this is the, the, the one group that you go to regularly. Most of the time. You know, you're yeah. probably serving at that group. You, you know, you've, you've dug roots. That's what I tell my sponsors. You mm-hmm. need to dig roots in somewhere because if I just am like a social butterfly and just kind of, 
go around everywhere and just make my face be known everywhere, then you don't really know if I'm there or not. You you don't even miss me when I'm gone. Oh, yeah. And so you need people to miss you or they can't hold you accountable. Right. And back to your, your idea with the church, you know, it's the same thing. This is the reason church membership is important. Right. You know, it's it's – it's more than just floating around and trying this church or that church or this church or the other church. You know, find a church, get rooted in it, find a place to serve in it, find a place to you know be held accountable. None of us like that terminology, mm-hmm. be held accountable, but that is really what we need. I mean, Scripture is full of accountability. And so if we want to grow as Christians, if we want to overcome these struggles in our life, we need the accountability. And, you know, it's just a matter if we're really willing to dig in and do that. Now, for me, when I look at, you know, the the need to have a group is, what's that old cheer song where everybody knows your name or whatever thing? That's how I look at, you know, going to an AA group or whatever. Just minus the actual alcohol. Minus the beer. Yeah. But I think that that's important. You want people to know who you are. I don't know about you, but for me, when I first started going to groups, I kind of thought they were cliquish, you know, and everybody had their own little, you know, cliques they wanted to talk in. And that may have been true to some extent. I think all of us are cliquish in some way or another because we connect better with some people than we connect with others. it's natural. Um, So I have friends that I just naturally gravitate towards, and I've got some friends, I mean— I'm friends with, but I don't naturally gravitate towards them to talk. Right. Don't have as much in common or whatever. So if you go to a group and think that they're cliquish, I would encourage you to maybe see that it isn't them, but possibly you that are willing to let them open up to you. Right. Or you're not opening yourself up to them. That was my problem. Yeah, looking for the differences instead of the similarities. Right. And a lot of, I, I really see that a lot with church, you know. Uh, attending church too you, you you walk in the in the building and you've already decided within five seconds i'm not coming back here anymore because you were just looking for the differences it's because you didn't play the song they wanted to hear <sighs> yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't play hymn number 451 uh and didn't sing all four stanzas you did nah, it I'm wrong just kidding. you did it wrong <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, seriously, those are the things that, you know, you, it's easy to look at and find these faults in people and in churches and organizations. The list goes on and on. It's easy to point out those problems. But, you know, make yourself willing to to connect to someone. And, you know, that's not always easy. It's just not. Yeah, make yourself vulnerable to people, people you trust. But in order to trust somebody, you, you have to at some point open yourself up to be vulnerable um, so they can get to know you. you got to let somebody get to know you or else you're just going to keep on struggling and being isolated and not having connections, which will just start that cycle of just fueling back in, on itself. And I would even say this because about being vulnerable is that I know there's people who's listening and going, you know, I hear you talking about a Sunday school group or whatever inside your church, but there's no way I could talk to them about this addiction that I have Mm. because they're just too judgmental. 
Well, if that's completely true, then you've got a lot of problems there. Right. But I don't believe that would be completely true. I believe if you was to look into your Sunday school group, there are people there who maybe can't empathize with you, but they can't sympathize with you enough to see where you're going through. And they would be willing to sit down and talk to you and hear you and, and let you be vulnerable enough and hold confidence enough to where they could hold you accountable with what you're going through. Now, I think the first option, if you're going through something, it would be a 12-step group, but maybe there's just not a 12-step group around you. Right. You know, those are, you, you can find that, but you've got to be willing to seek out that person you trust. And you probably don't want to just drop that bomb down, depending on what you're dealing with, out just to the world, because some people don't know what to do with that. But um, I, I think that you can find a safe place, regardless whether you're in your church or in a 12-step group, to dig some roots and begin talking about these things and connect with people. That's the problem that we see in churches. Heck, we see it the problem anywhere. I, I feel like sometimes we bash churches, and that's not in our intentions at all. Do we? Uh, Are we bashing? Well, I, I, you know, we say, well, you know, a 12-step group over a church. You know, yeah. it's not that. No. We, we certainly don't have that intention no. to do that. Uh, we just we've seen the benefits out of both. I love my church, by the way. <laughs> I think we're supposed to say that, yeah. but no, really, I do. I do love my church too, and I guess that's the reason I'm defending our churches here to say that not all churches are this way. Right? Is that you know if you if you look at a church, then there there should be the ideal of being able to be vulnerable with one another. Yeah. And, and if you don't have that, then you, you you do have some some struggles there. But I believe that. In the biggest sense, we want to bear one another's burdens. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think, you know, just the society that we live in today is so individualistic. It's just it's natural just to not want to share what you're going through with other people, and so if if you find yourself there where you're you just feel like you're just alone. You know, reach out to somebody. Heck, reach out to us. You know, send us a message um, on Facebook or send us an email, soberholicpodcast at gmail.com and say, hey, you know, I need help connecting. Where where can I connect? And we, we'd love to help you figure that out and navigate that. Um, maybe if it's finding a church nearby or if it's finding a Celebrate Recovery group or whatever, we'd love to help with that too. And that's probably one of my greatest desires of even hosting these shows and talking to you is truly to help people connect. Yes. Um, you know, I, I want to see people's lives change. And I, and I guess that's a natural desire for most people. But um, we just believe that there's experience from our own struggles in our lives that we can share with people to help them through their situations. And I don't know, man. I, I know it's a difficult topic, conversation when we talk about you know addiction and then I just don't believe that addiction verse versus connection is a fair uh, assessment there. Right. But I do believe that addiction to overcome addiction, we need connection. That's it. And so that's, that's what I want to leave everybody with is that if you're going to stay in recovery with whatever you're dealing with, then I can't stress enough that you need some connection with a church group with, you know, a 12 step group. Don't do it alone because while it, it may be able to be done. I'm not going to say that it can't be done. It would be much easier with connection. Yeah. Get connected. Get connected. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
See you next week, Soberholics. <laughs>